Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Uh, we're going to start off with a couple songs. Uh, Jimmy's going to lead us in a message, and then um, we will have uh, a benediction to end the morning, um, led by Willem. It's going to be great. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Room. Today, we are talking about church, and we're super excited. We have Ian joining us today, Ooh. along with Jimmy, Garnet, and myself. Um, yeah, so we're just going to dive into this topic of like church. What is it? What is it good for? <laughs> what is what it is good, good for? for? <laughs> All right, we'll finish that. Um, yeah, so I thought a great place to start maybe would be uh, just going around the room talking about our individual experiences uh, with church. Um, I think for all of us, we grew up in church. So, um, Ian, why don't you start us off? What was your experience yeah, in church absolutely. like? Um, I grew up in the, um, uh, CRC, um, like every, C-R-C. we got a fan in the audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, so very much a Calvinist sort of style. Um, and, uh, you know, like I, I learned the catechism, I had confession of faith at 17 or 18. So, sorry, define those those uh, terms for us because there might be people that don't have that background uh it's been a while <laughs> <laughs> you do your best give yeah, us yeah. your best job uh, the catechisms were like um uh sort of a structure to learning uh for that style of church they were written by john calvin yep. uh in the whatever 1500 1600s um, and you basically, it was just a booklet. You just spend a year sort of in senior high kind of learning it. Um, and then you just do confession of faith afterwards. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's you, you go on up in front of the community and say, in front of the church. It, yeah. In, in front of the church and, uh, and you confess your faith, um, to the entire church. And it's typically around 17 or 18 when you're graduating graduating from the youth program into the adults uh, and joining the adults um, for the full service um, but yeah it, it was church for me was Sunday morning sit in the same pew um, stand up sit down stand up sit down yeah listen to the pastor for half an hour the worst that's <laughs> bad coffee um, you talk to the same people at the end of the service and then you go home and you don't really think about it after that hmm. you know you, you you'd be a good person but there's never discussion uh never follow up that was it it was just sunday morning so yeah um and that was yeah that was pretty much i i didn't go to church a lot in my early to mid-20s and then i found the meeting house and i was like oh i like this yeah this makes sense i'm mm. invited by i think my sister my older sister I started going to the meeting house and she's like, you got to check this place out. Mm. So what, like what key differences do you think kind of, uh, pulled you in at the meeting house, um, as opposed to kind of what you grew up with? Uh, I found the, even the first service I went to at the meeting house, which was still in the old theater on, uh, Spears road. Um, it just felt dynamic. Hmm. It felt uh, interactive. Um, it it didn't feel one sided. You know, there was slides, there was uh, modern music, uh, and a modern topic. It didn't feel like the pastor just picked a, a um, 
a verse out of the Bible and said, well, I'll write something about this this week. Yeah. It really felt like it was applicable mm. and um, something that felt, yeah, it, I think applicable was was the best. And I was like, wow, I'm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So mm. relatable. Yeah, relatable. Cool. Jimmy? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church. Uh, so Wesleyan, Calvinist, a very evangelism focused, like the kind of core tenets of the beginning of the alliance in the U.S. was um, caring for and serving Italian immigrants in New York. So uh, I loved going to church when I was little, little. Like I got saved when I was five in the back stairwell of Glen Cairn Alliance Church in uh, in Western Canada. Um, I just have from until we moved to Ontario, which then things changed a bit. I just remember church being such a wonderful place to be legitimately when i was little um my sister passed away suddenly um and that was my first horror memory obviously of trauma as a kid but then it even as i think back right now the rest of my memory retrieve is so saturated with just like people coming over bringing food being over and Mm. you know like in those days but also in western canada people you just showed up like people just came over it would be like we have company oh who is it well it doesn't matter we have company you know so i have lots of wonderful memories about that loved going to church got baptized when i was seven um in front of the church and the reward was do you remember in grocery stores like maybe they still are there i just don't remember at the cash there's like those huge lollipop suckers that looks like like a small like baseball right that was i remember my mom saying like if you get baptized you get one of those. And I was like, cool, dunk me. Let's do it. Forget heaven. Let's go. I want one of those suckers. Oh, yeah. So that's a wonderful memory. And then there was a hill on the back side of the church into this kind of like little parking lot field. And I remember it, it was a dress up church. So you had to wear like dress up clothes. And me and other Sunday school kids would like run out of church after, roll down the hill. And I don't even remember getting in trouble for that. So I was like, you know what? Yeah. Sunday's coming and I'm here for it. So, and then we moved to Kingston and started attending churches there. And that's all I'll say about that. Hmm. Okay. Not the same. Yeah. A lot tougher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, uh, sort of grew up, uh, in an Anglican church. And so it was very much so beautiful like stonework church building with wood carved paneling and everything stained glass windows they all wore the different robes vestments yeah vestments and and had the different uh every different season or things had different table runners and things on the aisles and the pews they had very old wooden pews that did not have any cushion whatsoever yeah (laughs) that were very uncomfortable actually to be fair they did have a little bit of cushion but only on the little on the kneeling, kneeling yeah. prayer thing that folds down. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I always remember is like, oh, I get to get up and, and get some cushion. <laughs> nice so that break. was the incentive for, for prayer. Um, Comfort. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we would uh, get up and go to the front to receive communion and kneel. Uh, you wouldn't go up into the sanctuary, I think it's called area. Um, but you'd kneel at the front on this rail and they'd come by with the pretty silver cup and you had to hold your hands a certain way and uh respond a certain way to to receive communion um and yeah i was uh baptized much younger um when i was in church in uh back in uh, new jersey when i was there but 
the earlier church memories that I do have is in this Anglican church and growing up there. And the, I just remember the congregation being very of an older demographic. Um, and there wasn't really a whole lot of kids there or other people my age. Uh, and so that's sort of when I like was in my teens, sort of was like, eh, I don't know if this is really for me. I was starting to explore what my faith really meant to me more uh, and start to look for some of the things that I was looking for out of church. And, mm. and so that didn't seem to be as strong a fit. And so I started looking at other churches and exploring different other places. But mm. yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, the church I grew up in was a brethren church. Um, there, are, I f feel like brethren really covers the whole gambit in terms of, uh, some of the core traditions, I suppose. Um, the church that I was in, I mean, I was, I was quite young, um, even when we left. So I don't have like a great recollection of all their like creedal uh, differences and things, but I remember, um, they were all about, uh, elders, elders kind of ran the church. They were elected by the body. There was no lead pastor. Um, they were actually like super against the idea of a lead pastor. Um, so there like the leadership of the, of the church was, it was a different, I think like governance structure than maybe what I got used to later on. Um, they were super strict about any, like we, we weren't allowed to run in the sanctuary after the service. It was super, um, yeah, strict that way. And I remember, uh, them being very strict about like participating in communion as well. Um, <clears throat> like you had to have said the prayer and really be committed. Like I remember almost being scared the first time I took communion. Cause I was like, what if I didn't deal. do this stuff? Right. Like, am I going to exactly. Um, and then in my like preteen years into teenage years, went to a Baptist church, um, that felt a kind of, I just, I would just call it sort of evangelical. That's sort of how I would have defined it. Um, I don't remember any particularly strong, uh, denominational different, like, um, things that they clung to. Uh, they did have like lead pastors, which was a new thing for me. Um, but the music was a lot more modern and then. And then eventually in my young adult years came to the meeting house. And uh, I think for a lot of the reasons that you cited, Ian, just like really appreciated the modern approach, the um, uh, relevance of the message of being able to apply it. And I really liked the idea of, of home church and, and got plugged into a community there. And um, that was, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of what, what kept me here. But I think it's interesting going around the room, like uh, we've used some of these terms you know, CRC Alliance, um, Anglican. Anglican and, and brethren and Baptist, like, what are we talking about? You know, if you're initiated to the world of churches and, and, and Christianity just generally, these terms are confusing. Um, the idea of denominations, I think for Christians is a confusing one. Cause it's like, how did we, how did we end up here? Like, how did we start with one message and end up with you know, a hundred, couple hundred different ways of, of defining it and living it out. Um, so I thought, let's just, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, how did we end up here? Yeah. I remember, um, when I was 13, my sister's boyfriend, Ryan, shout out to you, Ryan, if you're watching, you're not, um, he, we were, he was driving me to like a youth group thing or something like that. 
And I remember like my parents were so like evangelical as well as like everybody needs to hear the gospel and mm. the gospel is like inviting Jesus into your heart. Otherwise you go to hell. Mm. Um, and so in that season of life, I was convinced like, okay, like Ryan, my sister's boyfriend, whew, destined for hell. How do we make that, make that right? And he asked one of these questions, like, I just don't get it. Like I didn't grow up going to church. So there's that. And then B like, if God, like you said, is so loving, why are there so many divisive denominations all around the world? Mm. Like your religion is determined by where you're born, not what you believe. And I remember being like, "Uh Oh, I think he's right. Maybe I'm going to hell too. Huh? And it just rocked me. I was like, yeah, a, I don't think I had considered or had real knowledge of these other denominations, these systems of, or methodologies of faith. And why do they believe what they believe? I was also like mildly curious because I felt like my church at the time when we moved to Kingston kind of sucked. So I was like, whoa, is there things more cooler than an old guy at the front talking for an hour and an organist? Like, right. let's, let's check that out. So yeah, yeah, that's a big question and, and has been a dividing line for a lot of people. If this, then why so many other expressions, differences, fights, disagreements, seems uh, strange that this unifying body that Jesus set a path out for took so many different paths away from. Yeah. Yeah. Like historically, um, I think I, I certainly for a lot of my life believed a denomination, uh, denominational division really happened after the reformation. Um, but what I've learned more recently is, you know, the church was dividing way before that. Um, really from the get go. I mean, within you know a kind of a century of jesus's life you already have uh like gnostics are in there um some of these other groups coming out and just like having totally different understandings of what jesus was teaching and what his message was i mean you can see it in some ways even in in the new testament explicitly right james like yeah peter's like listen paul we got to just part ways for a little bit you go this way i'll go this way we'll still have the same focus then james the brother of jesus writes later like Freaking Paul, yeah. give me a break. Like you can't just, can't just abandon the work that you need to do. You can't just abandon religion. Like what is this guy on about? You know? So yeah, you're seeing those splinters with, with the same, some DNA, but like approaches to it. Yeah. Straight out the gate. So it's a, it's a tough one, right? Because I think for, for those of us that believe and, um, are, you know, committed to the church in one way or another, like how do we make sense of the fact that how do, how do we find the truth right like how do we how do we find the right one yeah or do we have to divide again and make it right one i think there's a couple things to wrestle with a people are jerks b god is creative mm. i remember wrestling with this with a buddy of mine who uh has his doctorate works at a seminary and i was kind of riffing and being very negative you know, being like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And this is, you know, the reason why the church just needs to shut down. We need to start over new reformation. And he was like, huh, do you like classical music? I'm like, what? He's like, that's just an honest, do you like classical music? I'm like, yeah, sometimes, not all. He's like, well, okay, huh. What don't, what classical music don't you like? I'm like, I don't really vibe with like opera, but I like piano based, really emotive classical music. He's like, okay, so you like the substance of the music, but the expressions, there's stuff that you don't care for, but do care. Would you ever say that opera is not classical? No. He's like, okay, that's how I would contend. You can appreciate mm. denominational substance divide, not that, but like the creativity of God 
in um, many different expressions. You know, he he gave this example of uh, his kids around the Christmas tree one Christmas morning. Is like my daughter wanted, uh, I forget what it was. It was like a Lego set or something like that, and my son wanted um, like a toboggan, a GT snow racer. Same Christmas, same celebration, same family, same gathering spot, but very different like um, creative inlets, like different expressions of personality. And he said, imperfectly for sure, but um, this is what I see with denominations too. You can look at it from a negative um, point of view, and there definitely is negative reasons why denominations have split. Or you can look at it from a positive, like just different strokes for different folks with like the same kind of core tenets of Jesus, the Trinity, um, the Spirit, and being a, a force of good in the world. So that's that's been a good reminder whenever I'm ticked off at you know people and religious institutions that divide to be reminded like, well, yeah, there yes, there definitely is that, but there's also like really good, like there's the even better ifs. Yeah, I hear you on that. I think maybe where I I struggle on that line is like there's there's differences that feel like it's just a it's just a matter of form of expression, like you said. And then there's differences where it really feels like no, they're saying like if I don't do so and so or whatever, like I'm not saved or like um, you know there's extra steps yep. in some cases. Um, and those those feel like bigger impasses um uh, and i'm 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 just bringing that up. i don't have a solution to that i mean um yeah i think like it's a it's a big mystery to me for sure and ultimately i think i just trust god in that like he's i think he's above kind of the little ways that we try and divide ourselves but um it's stuff like that i think really that kind of um makes it difficult to just park the conversation at these are just you know totally yeah there's there's different tenets of different denominations that are created to divide and to out yeah you're not in unless yeah you know there are also some denominational expressions of like oh like we welcome you in because this is kind of how uh, this is our unique voice right you know what i mean our denomination to be in christ is is one of those has very core distinctives that i didn't grow up even considering mm. uh, but you're right there are also some yucky ones where it's like i've been in rooms large rooms ministerial rooms with other pastors who kid you not looked at me and said you are not a pastor yeah don't call yourself that i'm like i we've never met like right. what why i see that tattoo or i see you whether you dress or don't dress or yeah etc etc and i'm like cool that's crazy fun lunch <laughs> denominations i mean at least my my feel about it is that it's something where like some of it yes is just expression like i know for example in my family my dad really likes more of the traditional hymns and such and so that's why he really likes the anglican church yeah um for my mom and i we really like the more newer uh worship music so we like that side of things but even when it comes down to some of the things we disagree on or we differ on <clears throat> excuse me i feel like um it's one of those things where it's it's our relationship with god and as we pursue that and we get to know more and more the character of god i think we can see more clearly what we feel is right mm-hmm. 
And at the end of all of it, we may have a few things where God goes, oh, you got that part wrong. You got that part wrong. And oh, but the rest of these you got right. And you really did love me with your whole heart. You really did pursue me. And that's what matters. These other little things, they are secondary. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, I feel like uh, denominations, just as a subject, is we solved pretty- it. Yeah, we're We're, we solved it. Yeah, I've got got a a question. Yeah, fire away. Non-denominational churches. It's too soon, Willem. Is it just another denomination? What does that mean? They they don't believe anything? I don't know. That's just, I remember hearing that. It's just like, oh, we're a non-denominational church. Yeah. I'm like, no, you're a Baptist church with a cool website. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's unaffiliated is really the best way to describe it. We actually don't affiliate with any of the core tenets of, or the monikers of Baptists, Lutherans, Anglicans, Catholics, Evangelicals. Like, now we're just kind of doing our own thing. But all of them are have always heavily influenced and even launched from. Mm-hmm. I, I can't not name one. Like, even some of the mega churches in our world right now, I'm like, okay, non-denominational, but your, your lead person or team came from uh, like a church planting team from a Baptist church, from a Wesleyan church, from an evangelical church, you know? So it's like, yeah, some, yeah. I, I wonder if it's just, it's a retort or like a rebuttal from like, oh, we wanted to do something different. We can't really find what feels like our family. So let's just try it together without those parameters for now, you know? Yeah, I, I that's how it feels to me too. And I, this is not to place any judgment on, on non-denominational denominational churches because i uh you know i know a few and i love what they do but i do kind of feel like it's like we we aren't a fan of all this division and all these like you know lines in the sand that we feel uh, are created in the denominational world so we're so we're also going to divide but we're just not going to put a label on it you know what i mean um we're just not that yeah we're we're not going to play the game but we're kind of kind of playing we're kind of playing the game a little bit um yeah uh so let's leave denominations where where they are for now. Certainly, a subject uh, I think we could revisit and maybe go into a little bit more detail about some of the traditions. And um, but I thought it would be it would be interesting to take this conversation in the direction of like let's take a look at kind of the core aspects of church life, essential. Um, because I think what we've expressed here, talking about uh, our own experiences within church, are that. You know, some of these churches we grew up in were really strong in some areas and not so strong in others. And, um, you know, sometimes what we find is the church we start out in, we kind of swing the other way on the pendulum. So mm-hmm. it's like, I was really missing out on um, strong, solid teaching. So I went to a church that had that, or I, you know, all we had was the organ and, and I'll, uh, it's all you need. Yeah, it's just just voices in the organ. Yeah. And then I like swing to the other side of the pendulum and we've got like a full band and lights and everything. Um well, I think with that like what what are some of those what are those essentials? What are those core yeah. pieces just to identify first? And I think you touched on a few of them. Mm-hmm. So I mean, one of them is obviously worship or music. Yeah. Um if we narrow that down specifically to one section of it. Um teaching being another one. Uh, a really big one for me that stood out when I was on my uh, church search uh, was community, finding somewhere that had community that I felt mm-hmm. included in and involved in. Uh, and so that was a big search part for me. Um, and then I think in that section of community is also serving. 
Yeah. Um, so those yeah. are some of the ones that stand out to me. Is there any other essentials that you guys have come to mind? Well, one that Jimmy brought up earlier was evangelism, which I think sometimes I get a little bit of a... Yeah. That's a bit of an eye twitch. <laughs> yeah. There's evangelism, evangelicalism. Yeah. I, well, maybe it's the tie to evangelicalism a, a little bit, but I think the bigger thing is like just evangelism is an uncomfortable idea. Yeah. You're on a corner with a bullhorn. Or That's exactly what you think of, right? Is like, and like, how else are you supposed to do that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So do we want to start? Sure. Start there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the word comes from euangelion, which is sharing, proclaiming the good news. So it's not proclaiming the definitive eternal destiny of the lost. It's so sharing happy. the good news. Yeah. You know, um, Jesus announces it to the poor who are going to, and the sick who are going to get healed. So yeah, we got to reframe that. Like it's not standing on a corner on, you know, yeah, uh, John and, and, King Street in Hamilton or John in Maine in front of Jackson Square, mm-hmm. you know, berating people. It's actually the mm-hmm. announcement of like, God is good, humanity is good, and God is melding the goodness in this kingdom of God here. Not rulership authoritarianism, but like the care for each other, care for the world, the shalom connection with God. Ah, let's do it. Let's do it together. That's the principle of it, of evangelism. Yeah, I, I think that this actually connects so well to our, the conversation that we had on hell the other week because to me, what's really important about evangelism is like, what is what is the good news? What is the message that you're there to tell people? Yeah. Because if you're leading with turn and burn. It's not good news. Uh, turn or burn. Here's the good news. You're going to hell. Right. Yeah. It's like... um that guy uh, yeah that guy with the megaphone on the on the street corner like i can i can see the implicit logic if that's what you believe right if that's what you believe is going to happen to everybody absolutely i'd be on the street corner screaming through a megaphone telling people like you know <laughs> repent or you will die um but it's not exactly a a message people are super receptive to um and I why. yeah i mean it, I, the idea here is not to uh, have evangelism be as palatable as possible, right? But I think that we have to really think about the fact that when Jesus called, like when it's called the good news, it's called the good news for a reason. It is meant to be liberating, to draw people in. Um, there's a reason why so many people turn to Christianity when the apostles went to these cities that had never, they didn't have even the, um, you know, the, the background of the Jewish law, yeah. right? Paul and the other disciples were talking about this man who lived and died in another country far away. How was it that he made that message um, an attractive one to people that had like no cultural basis for understanding that story um, or like the significance of it? Yeah, work and inclusion. So they, they didn't move out with a message of just like good thinking. Isn't this good, compelling teaching? I mean, Paul was a boring teacher. Like there's a couple accounts where people fell asleep during his message. Peter makes fun of him. Paul makes fun of Peter. Like these guys weren't like the, wow, you ooh, yeah got some gifting. Moses as well. Yes. Yeah. To Yahweh and says like, she's used Aaron. He's a way, a little bit younger, way better or older, way better speaker. And God's like, okay, it's not, okay. It's what you will do with it. It's not yeah. how you say it, you know? Yeah. But I think that is where we get in a little bit 
twisted. Our Baptist brothers and sisters, our cessationist Baptist brothers and sisters would disagree with what I'm about to say, but here we are. Um, it, it was the caring for, supporting, bringing up to an equitable level playing field and healing of the poor, the sick, and the marginalized. Mm. That was the good news. Mm. It wasn't like, hey, uh, we've got the gospel over here. Repent, be saved, invite Jesus into your heart. Jesus name, pray amen. Okay. And now we can like help you. Right. It's like, no, no, we're going to start there. Yeah. You know, we're going to start with the, the mantra, the movement, the mission of God is to care for the poor heal the sick and mend the hearts of the broken. The Isaiah scroll, it's what Jesus says. Yeah. You know? Um, so I do think it's it's that. It's like the tangible impact on the known world at the time with the, the sunset of religion behind Jesus and the earliest disciples and apostles who were like, well, come to temple, I guess. Yeah. You know? Like if you want to get healed or you want care, learn Torah first. And I'm totally characterizing it, but that that is some of the, um, the rebuke that Jesus has, you, you make this so difficult for people that we're always destined to experience it. What are you doing? Like yeah. you're going to hell. You guys are, you know, these people are, are included in the kingdom of heaven that is here. That is now the kingdom of God that is moving out is a hospital for the sick, uh, is an, in, is an invitation for the broken that like the temple doors are no longer closed. They're open to you. And as you receive and move into this kingdom, there's like a physical bodily response like people were getting healed the miracle of the messianic age and jesus healing people and the disciples healing people and the early church healing people uh is a miraculous thing and i wonder often if we get it twisted and we've returned back to this strange sense of synagogue of like well uh, if you're a christian or you want to be a christian come to where what what do you do i'm to church on sunday Right. Like that's the kind of like apex of like how you'll experience this. And it's just no smoke to church. I think being part of a gathered body and celebrating what God has done as the church through the week, love it, love it, love it, love it. But when we center an ancient synagogue practice called church attendance in a pew on Sunday morning, we have missed the plot. And no wonder people are like, that's super boring. What? Yeah. Seriously, the creative God breath of the cosmos that spoke everything into being is smashed into one holy hour on Sunday morning with a message that doesn't make sense with church folks who are jerks with an organ that like who plays organ anymore. And with an ancient hymn book that is like sheet music with really small black and white letter, like, come on, Mm. is it not more creative and moving than this? And Mm -hmm. I think that's the the danger of what where we have, not always, but have found ourselves in, and probably why the mission and the motivation earlier on with the meeting house was so compelling for people is like, I found my people, I found my place, I'm thinking about the teaching, I'm wondering how this, I like, I want to do something with it, you know? So I think that's the good news of evangelism that still captures my heart is like, how can I be a good news sharer with people who have likely have a whole bunch of religious baggage, have been burnt, torched, hurt, tra- like traumatized by religion. How do I, in an on an uh, ongoing basis, just like be a little like trumpet player for how how God is good? Not like an overwhelming blast in their ear. Um, 
Anyway, I've been sermonizing now. No, for but I, I like what you're saying. Like it's, it's, there's this idea there that it's not about like this beaten in message. It's almost as though we're having people take a look at how we live our lives and yeah. what we choose to do and how we choose to serve the community. And then they say, Hey, something's different about that person. I want to know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that bridge. That's that piece then that, that can lead into that. Oh, well, here's the good news. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our way of evangelizing is living counterculturally as we've mm. discussed. Um, you want people to ask questions. Why do you, why do you do that? Why do you serve, serve the poor? Why do you live simply? Why do you not spend money on cultural things? That's when you get that opening where you can start a discussion and yeah. conversation with somebody and say, this is, this is why I do it. Yeah. And the first thing you said, Ian, bingo, like there's so much, we were talking about this earlier on, but so much compelling sociological research uh, in North America in particular, but probably around the world uh, in, in North America of like the communal nature of serving those that are less than is such a draw for millennials and under. It's, it's actually not a compelling church service anymore. Um, that's not why people would be or tend to be interested in church anymore. It's not a fantastic speaker or um, moving music, although that is actually one of the top things is the arts and music. It is the evangelistic nature of the invitation or being invited to to care and impact your community, specifically those that are less. So the it used to be this like evangelism hook was come to Easter, come to Christmas, you know, like that's the, <laughs> we, all the, the extra lights that we rent, all the extra things that yeah. we do. And that had a place for a while, you yeah. know what I mean? And maybe in some traditions still does, but even more so saying to somebody, like I, I can name people in my life who are uh, not Christians and have no interest, you know? So like, dude, for, are we, if we're going to go for a beer, Jimmy, I don't want to talk about God. I'm like, yep, yeah, yeah, good. But those same people, if I was like, deal, no worries. Do you want to meet at 541, which is a, um, a non-for-profit uh, community agency in downtown Hamilton on Barton Street that provides um, food and support for people who struggle with homelessness? There's a commercial for 541. Check it out at 541 Barton Street uh, on Instagram. So to invite somebody there, I, I, I've had the experience of like, do you want to come and help serve the poor? What is it? Is it like, is there going to be a church service? No. We're cleaning up tables. Yeah. No, like, well, I want to make sure, I want to make sure, I want to make sure. I go, of course, I want to be a part of that. I think there is that existential <laughs> in our North American world right now. It's like, we have so much, we own so much. Our lives are so capitalistically cluttered. I don't want to have all this stuff. Like, I, what am I doing with my life? Is this it? And they'd be like, hey, I, I have a direction I can show you. There are so many people that have so far less. Want to help? I don't know of any people that'd be like, no, I'm good. But, and sure there are, but in my community of friends, I, I don't think, I think nine times out of 10, that conversation with my community of friends who would never darken the doors of a church would always be like, I, maybe I can't come this time, but absolutely. When are you going next? Mm -hmm. next? Mm -hmm. Whereas if I say, oh man, we've got this banger of a series on the book of Acts at my church on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. that you have to get up early for. The coffee is kind of crappy and we're sort of sorting ourselves out as a church want to come. It's like, do you hear what you <laughs> like, Yeah, No, I'm good. Yeah, I think like you, if we just look at the example of like Jesus's ministry and his life, that was 99% of it was the time he spent with people who needed real material 
like physical help. Like he said many times, I came for the sick, not for the healthy. And that's not to say that people who have have it all put together aren't aren't sick in their own way, but you need to recognize it, right? And I think that ultimately, like the good news is 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 good for people who recognize that they they don't have it all put together, yeah. and that's a that's a journey for some people because our whole world is based off of making you feel like you have it all together and that you can get by on your own. Yep. Um, it's only that moment when you realize I lack something that you can and turn and recognize the truth, I think, of of the message of Jesus and and really what what uh, what Christianity is all about. But we've dovetailed so nicely into from from even uh, evangelism into service. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about some of those more staple things that we might uh, think of when we think of church. So teaching. Um, I think teaching uh yeah, I, I, I'm just curious how teaching today might differ from the teaching uh, of um, a church in, in times gone by, uh, whether that's centuries ago or millennia, millennia ago. Um, we have a culture in church now of, um, you know, teaching pastors. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy is one of them. Um, where, like, you're, you're, you know, your focus is... Uh, is to be putting together uh, teaching, um, studying, studying the word and other sources, and bringing that together in a message, and absolutely has a pivotal part in in the church and and the modern church. Um, yeah, what I I well, I, Jimmy, I think I'd just kind of turn it over to you. Like, what are your thoughts on on the modern state of teaching in the church? Um, do you think it's headed in a good direction? Uh, do you think there are things that we could be doing better? Yeah, no, I don't think it's headed in a good direction. I think it it's a pivotal part. It's not the central part. Mm. I think that's what <laughs> our, our church and other churches, uh, not all for sure, but have, um, yeah, I think we've hurt the mission of the church um, with centralizing just the messaging of of the church. You know, I still think there's, I'm, I'm a teacher. I love studying. I love reading. Um, so full disclosure, I'm not trying to throw smoke at myself or teaching pastors or lead pastors who have a gift of teaching. Um, but but it does, I think we do need to pay attention to it feels like that ship is sailing a little bit. I mean, mm. this can't be the only thing um, in, in Acts. Well, first of all, Jesus did teach at synagogue until his message was not being received. People are like, well, your teacher doesn't keep, uh, like you're, you're not fitting into our sermon stuff. And Jesus is like, okay. Yeah. See you. Off we go. Right. You know, um, the earliest in, in Acts chapter two, once the, the move of the spirit comes, it's very specific. Luke writes that they, they gathered in the synagogue daily to learn, to pray and to worship. Um, and then they also gathered in homes for fellowship and prayer and to serve. Right, so it was this coalescing of both. It wasn't just like, "Hey, you know, I got to work every day of the week, so I'll see you on Sunday, and I'll go for lunch after." You know, I was like, "No, this is like the intersection of everything that we do." Yeah. So, and then the the gathered body early on, on elected different offices of the church that were co-equal. Like the earliest apostles are like, "We're not really good at serving. We're trying to understand this resurrected hope in Jesus." Now, I don't think we knew that he was. God at first, holy smokes, there's a lot for us to get our heads around. It seems wise to us to 
orient ourselves to prayer and to the teaching of the word, which will equip the people. But then very close, the second office is the ministeria. The second office of the church is the ministeria. That The table uh, caregivers is like, but then very closely tied is to care for each other, you know, to, to pray, to serve, to wash, to support, to provide these mechanisms through which the poor will enter, you know? Um, so I don't know, like I... I feel brokenhearted that it seems, not in all expressions, but in my church experience, uh, we really have centered and platformed, and I mean that word literally, platformed teaching as the thing that we center around, that we talk about, that we pay for the most, that we reproduce the most. It just becomes the main thing, you know? And at the meeting house, when I first came to the meeting house, uh, at the end of 2009, um, coming from a church tradition that was very music-oriented, mm-hmm. music and arts, right? It was like, you came for the music, and if the teaching was great, great, amazing, you know? But the music, oh man, we got some killer musicians and something's happening here. Mm-hmm. So I come to the meeting house, hearing about this mega church that's growing by leaps and bounds, and then I'm in the East Hamilton Theater watching, feeling like, our former lead pastor just lied to me. He's like, yeah, we're about 200. I'm like, there's eight people in here for song two, <laughs> you know? And then by song three, there's like 80. And then by song four into the teaching, there's 200. And I was like, oh, people are here for the teaching mm. and the teacher, mm. which again, gifted communication, it, there's a place for it, but it's not the only thing, you know? And especially for those of us who it's not a connection point. Like I love that you said worship music is, is such a vibe um, for churches like the meeting house historically that do one thing really well and the other stuff um, mildly mediocre. It's a very, it's a quick dividing line. People are like, Oh, music sucks here. Or like how we get involved and care for each other. This sucks here. Teaching is good. Great. But that's it. Uh, I don't think um, I don't want to be part of a church movement that just continues to platform uh, and focus everything around a teacher or a certain aspect of teaching. I think it needs to be a more flat, um, no hierarchy, flat uh, level, equitable office of teaching, arts, service, um, giving, stewardship, uh, creation, care. Like imagine if we had lead pastors in the same um way level all of the things as the teaching pastor that we're in charge of like hey what do the gardens in our community look like it's a core aspect of like yeah for the year you know how do we manage help to steward the use of our money in order to a not be in debt as a church family and also to help people who are in debt as an aspect of our Mm -hmm. family Mm -hmm. you know how do we create musical and artful experiences that pursue wonder. You know, a good friend of mine, Matt Brownlow, showed to Matt Brownlow, he was part of a church that they went to a conference and that was the whole aspect of the conference, pursuing wonder. Not good stage and musical light transitions and new gear. It was like wonder. This is the God of the universe who breathed everything into existence. We know so well, and the heart and experience of God is so massive. Let's just lean into that. Yeah. So anyway, that's my little teaching pastors be teaching. So <laughs> I don't think for the future of the church, I think teaching pastors, teaching uh, as the core thing should become less and the 
other aspects of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ should become more. Yeah, I agree with you as well. I think part of it though is like, for me at least, I love having really good teaching too. Sure. It's yeah. Not, and by the way, I'm not saying that. teaching yeah. needs to suck. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just come on stage and write on this. I think the same thing could be said, like as an analogy at least, is like if you go out to a fine dining restaurant and you have a really high-end professional chef make you a meal and it's phenomenal and you love it and really enjoy it that's great but when you go home if you're just eating like like cattle slop or or something like that then it's not great like yeah. you gotta your at-home meals have to be as good or close to as good as the fine dining yeah um so strive for that work toward that and that's why I think equal too, like in the same way, using your analogy, if you went to a fine dining steakhouse and the steak was incredible, but like the sides, the only th the only other thing that they served was lukewarm Mountain Dew, <laughs> you know, you'd be like, well, the steak was good. The steak was really good, but you know, it's like, come on, we can't. Where's the rest of the exactly. meal? Exactly. Like yeah. it's the experience of being together, like going, like. It's same thing if you and I went to a steakhouse and you're like, by the way, I really love the steakhouse. I'm excited for you to come with me, Jimmy. Amazing. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. I love it so much. I don't plan on talking to you about it during or after. Just be quiet. Like, well, lost. I'd be like- A good portion of the whole point. Yeah. I thought we were friends. We are friends. Just not, not for that. Not here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, and that's like when I was looking for a church, I was like, I want really, really good teaching. I want really, really good worship. And I want really strong community. Yeah. And in community, that service, that evangelism, that's part of that for me. And so, I mean, like after I did start going through that search and going from church to church to church, like you were saying, you found ones that had one really strong thing, maybe two really strong things, but very few had all three. Yeah. And then I found the meeting house, which not to say we have everything figured out far from it, but just to say that like, actually I, I found the teaching was great. I found the worship was great and I didn't find community at first. Uh, wow. I actually felt like I was one in a crowd of a million and forgotten and not seen. And it was just like, oh, I'm in this audience and we all gather and then we leave and no one talks to anyone and that's it. Which I think if we could all, taking that year of Garnet, if we could <laughs> all hop in a time machine and go back to the, the foundational core with the early church, the early apostles and the followers of Jesus, and you said that, they'd be like, stop everything. Mm. What are you talking about? You as a person cannot find communal connection in the body of Christ. <laughs> Sorry, don't care about teaching. Don't care about the music. Sort that first. Like, where is the place for you? Who are your people? How are you being cared for? Once that's like, you're like, okay, I really feel loved and cared for. Like, I'm a part of something. Great. Then we adore teaching and music and da, da 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 but yeah it's it's oftentimes at our church and other churches backwards okay well let's go there let's go to the community aspect and ian i want to go to you on this one because uh community i feel like um it's uh we understand the concept we under understand the concept of having like this thriving community where people know each other and where people kind of um you know they see each other outside of of sunday morning but like establishing that or building that is a pretty difficult thing to do. And Ian, I know you were involved for a long time with volunteers. I wonder if you could speak to that experience at all and like just your experience in, in community building. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've been on staff for almost 15 years. Um, mm -hmm. and I had a really unique position where I got to go to every regional site on a rotating basis. Mm. 
it's fascinating. It was, I got to see how each site, um, ran, how each site had their community building. But as you know, the meeting house, we were in movie theaters for the longest time, which was fantastic for sound and video. Great for music, terrible for community because hmm. you finish yeah, that service and the pastor's like, you know, Lord of the Rings is starting in 10 minutes yeah, everybody is. out. Right. And you, you just, I mean, you could hang out in the lobby for 10 minutes or 15 minutes and maybe have a conversation, but it just didn't work in the movie theaters. And that's why, I mean, there was pushback from a lot of pastors and it started around 2016, 2017, where a few of the sites started looking for alternative locations yeah. to say, we want somewhere where we can finish the service and then hang out for an hour mm-hmm. or two or three or whatever. And at this point we are... We now have two theaters left, two sites that still meet in theaters. And one of them has been given space by the theater that they can hang out afterwards. So it really is, it's um, it's completely changed. So that community is a focus and um, it's it's an important part that, that we have made that change. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've always um, suggested and, and tried to get people to go to home church, which is where the real community is. And I think like, I mean, we, we don't collect stats the same way we used to, but it was always floating at around 20 to 25% of people. Of the whole. Of the whole. Yeah. Everybody that went to the meeting house, so 5,000 people that go to the meeting house, 12, 13, 14, 1,500 people would go to, uh, go to home church. And it's like, you're missing the point. Mm. We, we would tell it again and again. Yeah. Church is important. Home church is really important. That's where you build community. That's where you make friends. That's where you get your huddle groups. That's where you really open up to each other and spend time together and learn about each other's spiritual positions and and, and uh, growth and where you can help each other out and really focus on local community impact. Um, that's where you make that change. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the tough part, right? I mean, uh, Jimmy, you'd been speaking to the history of, of our church, especially, right? Uh, back when you joined at first, it was like, it's pretty clear when you have people trickling in on song three that like really foundationally, a lot of people's reason for showing up is, is to listen to the teaching. And I think that that's not just a necessarily something that happened at the meeting house, but it's something that really happens in a lot of the, the mega churches that we see across, um, across North America, um, I mean, I, I'm not super well-informed on what that might look like internationally, but certainly within the North American context, yeah. uh, mega churches are really foundationally based on teaching primarily. And then I think certainly music plays a big part for some as well. Um, but it's about the show hmm. and it's about, mega churches. Yeah, it's, it's about the show and it's about the experience and, uh, how, how inspired and good you can feel for those couple of hours. And then the community aspect is kind of just lost, especially when you have, um, the mega church model kind of spreading people out across such a vast area, um, and consuming an experience, but not necessarily being directly involved in it. It makes it really difficult to build community after that. Mm. Um, I wonder like, just going around like around the room here like uh, do we have we seen examples or maybe do we have ideas around how we reorient that energy into uh 
like what is what is it going to take to foster community building again um i i think maybe what i uh was trying to draw on a little bit there you know it's like the the volunteering aspect i think is a big one right yes, like the right. And, and and that's that's totally fine but like that ability to like participate and to serve is such a big part of it mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I'd, i had tr spent years training tech people and it really it brings you it you're there earlier than everybody else you're working with other people you get to know people better that are on your team you get to work with the administration of the, of the site the pastor um and you build a relationship and that's what it's all about and it's not just showing up at at 10 15 oh i missed all you know i missed the first three songs oh here's great here's the service um i i met and and got to know so many people in that in volunteer positions that really were integral to the church and they were the ones who yeah they were um part of the the home church community part of uh you know they they, they were giving their time and their money they felt more part of the church than if they just showed up yeah it really just a ton word yeah that's it seems like that um yeah the, the that initial sacrifice uh of of our time um being invested in a place uh getting up early on sunday can be a big ask yeah. um but these are the these are the initial sort of uh self-sacrifice self-sacrificial things uh i think we can do to kind of really dip into the well of like what a gift it is to be part of, of, of that deeper, richer community. I, I know that that was my experience at the meeting house. I started as out as a volunteer on, on cameras, on tech, and then shortly after got involved in, in, uh, home church. And it felt like a, it felt like the next natural step really. Um, because I was establishing relationships with people that were in the church and it's a, kind of awkward thing to do when you're when you just attend a service on sunday morning and you you plop down in a seat potentially next to someone you've never met or talked to and you might get the opportunity to get up at one point and shake their hand and say hi but like mm -hmm. that's not really going to uh it's not really um opening the platform mm -hmm. for for uh depth of relationship after that right um our modern church services are not really designed to be a communal experience mm -hmm. uh, at least in the sense of like one-to-one -one with the people around you it's a lot of let's all turn our chairs in one direction focus on what's happening on the stage and then when the lights go down we all get out of here kind of thing um i can't think that that was necessarily always the model and that's not just a mega church thing right that i think that's a church thing across the board mm -hmm. and that's really how churches are designed right every all the seats are facing in one direction yeah, and when when you say like what it takes to actually make community happen, it's it's a mix, right? It it is sacrifice. It is giving of your time. It is serving. It is um, making that intentional space where you have an opportunity to not have other distractions around you and actually connect with someone. And I know like there's lots of great summer camps, for example, out there where you go away and you have this big great faith experience. And you leave this camp with this spiritual high, but then that high diminishes over, over the next week or so. And one of the things I love about that intentionality is, for example, uh, to continue that, uh, camp analogy is like, we went away with a whole bunch of the youth for a retreat, uh, this past weekend. And they went with their leaders who have been spending 
time with them each week, connecting, fully invested, fully invested, making intentional space for them. And yeah, there's always going to be a little bit of a camp high of that spiritual high, but they then get to then go home with their leaders. They get to continue walking together. They get to continue talking alongside one another and building their faith together. And it's that intentionality. That's what builds that community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ian, if I can put you on the spot. So, um, Talk more about intentional community and some of, like I said, if I could put you on the the spot, how you and Rhea have reoriented, reshaped a bit of your personal lives around this concept too. So you used to live in Hamilton. You no longer do. You used to live as a single family. A nuclear nuclear family in downtown Hamilton. Now you live on a farm intentionally with another family. Yes. What is wrong with you? (laughs) <laughs> we wanted more space okay um no it was um it, it was it was actually kind of driven by uh my oldest uh my son who we always thought he was born with dirt under his fingernails like he wanted to be outside yeah, there digging uh, living outside just he uh, just he he belonged outside yeah and you know when you're when your backyard is the size of uh this coffee that's a, like the size of the coffee table yeah it's it's hard to do that and i mean we're even we were even lucky to own yeah. that much space a lot of people live in apartment buildings or something mm. where there's there's nothing you don't see grass for a kilometer in any direction um and we had uh, another family that was interested in moving out to the country too and so we just yeah we we house hunted for almost a year in the pandemic that was that was a treat um, watching prices climb daily, <laughs> um, but we found something and, and, uh, and we made it work. And yeah, it's, so we are living, um, we're living rurally now. So I, I actually do miss my neighborhoods, but we live with another family and, and we make it work and it, it, it does, um, you know, there's always stuff, but it, nothing, yeah, it, it's, it's worked and it's, uh, it's going back to how sometimes it used to be, you know, like, and a lot of different cultures do that as well, right? Yep. You have two, three generations in a household. Um, mm. And yeah, it's, uh, it, it's worked for us. Can you talk so, a little bit about like, not a low point, but something like, okay, didn't expect that, that's some work. And then also conversely, they're like, holy smokes, what a wonderful surprise this part has been about intentional communal multi-family living in a rural setting okay um we get to practice with somebody else's teenagers <laughs> uh, that's handy the other family has three teenagers and so i get to see all of that and um go we'll okay. do that with ours <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out when we get there learn from their mistakes yeah, yeah mine are uh nine five and and ten months old so i've got a bit of time to to sort out the that but um <laughs> i you know there's there's always you know the the benefit is there's four adults in the in the house um which i mean as as adults with even whether or not you have kids uh you can recognize that the the handiness of that right yeah. um and but there's four adults in the house and we all have a different position on things and sometimes there's a bit of disagreement and it's hard when you have two couples and whether or not you agree with your spouse or you agree with the 
same gender on the other couple or, you know, and, and is it 51-49 or 50-50? And uh, so there's been some interesting conversations, but we sit down and talk about it. Mm. So That is such a unique challenge that I think is so foreign to awesome too. yeah so <laughs> yeah. many of us, right? But like that, I feel like that just like builds skills and muscles that most of us have atrophied, right? Because the world we live in is so compartmentalized and it is you know, they, uh, even things like church are, it's a time you show up. It's a time, it's a place you just kind of spend a couple hours at, but you don't really have to sit in the, yeah, the real challenge that comes with, um, being involved in other people's lives and like fully involved and, um, and, and your decisions impact that like their lives and their decisions impact your life. Like, yeah, that's inspirational. <laughs> um, I think, so we've covered a lot here in terms of uh, just kind of looking at different aspects of the church, uh, modern church specifically. When we look back at the early church and kind of what was plotted out um, uh, or, or examples that we might have in the Bible of what the church was early on, like, are there pieces we are missing today in the modern church that, I mean, we, we have talked about that a little bit already, but like, yeah, are there ways that we need to to orient ourselves back towards what those models look like? I think sometimes it can be easy for us just to say like, oh, we got to go back to the way things were mm -hmm. um, without recognizing that the world has fundamentally changed and that sometimes change is good mm -hmm. uh, and it has happened for a reason. But how do we draw that line? How do we how do we parse that the good, the good from the bad? Yeah. Um, well, I would I would agree like uh, we should be paying attention to our addiction to the early church moniker and framework of like, that's the, the way, the only way come mm -hmm. hell or high water It's like, that was a starting point, yeah. you know, to gather together, to serve the poor, to make an holistic impact for good in the world and to invite people into this new way of following, following God through Jesus and resurrection. Amazing. You know? Um, so like, yeah, I, I wouldn't be one who's quickly to be like, Oh, if only every day at every hour was great. just get back to Acts chapter two. And why isn't that? It's like, yeah, absolutely. There are some things, lessons communally that we can learn from, but like, I don't think, you know, it's, it's a matter of sacrificing everything that is now to go and just replicate exactly what was then. Like their church buildings had outdoor washrooms. It's nice to go inside <laughs> you know what I mean? so especially like, in canada yeah, exactly exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah winter yeah but i think uh is there anything that we've missed and we should get back to yes serving the poor so the fact that we have so many buildings huge mm. buildings that we pay enormous mortgage payments to that sit empty every day of the week except sunday we need to repent of that crap. Oh, so what, and take an honest look, and I'm saying this to myself as a senior leader in our current church that has a building that is massive in Oakville yeah. and goes relatively unused. We need to take an honest look of like, it seems that God in one way, shape or form, you have gifted, given, made available this space for our church. How do you want it to be used in this next season? of our life and also paying attention to if the answer is I don't want it we should pay attention to that too yep. we we do not idolize a church brick and mortar location 
Yeah, which was one of the earliest draws of the meeting house. We'll never buy a bricks and mortar location. Like we always want to be yeah. not spending money on on stuff that can be rented and you know have that that semblance of fluidity. Um, and again, I'm not throwing smoke to this production site that we have. It's it's served our church well, but let's be paying attention to where God. Um, what what does God want to use this space for? And if it's not tethered to the service of the poor and the marginalized, the broken, the hurting, I think we're doing it wrong. I was at a conference a couple months ago, um, and one of the presenters, he, he was talking about uh, a letter that uh, Wesley wrote to a church that he was about to visit. Uh, and the one-liner is like, your church has so much content and so little power. Mm. So much content and so little power, the Holy Spirit power. You know, and I, I wonder about that. And then he went on to talk about, he said, the uh, this swift spirit sickle against the megachurch movement in North America these days. And then he listed, he's like, Harvest Bible Church, Willow Creek, Mars Hill, Mars Hill Bible Church, uh, the Meeting House. Like, you can't not, uh, uh, Hillsong, mm. you know, like, look at what this has become. Let's pay attention to the, what seems like he said, the swift sickle, the chopping of the spirit, but like, no, no, it's just, no, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. And then paying attention to what you've learned, not just like picking up the pieces of the rubble and trying to be like, oh, I think it looked like this before. Let's just reshape it to what it always, we hoped it would be like, let's pay attention to the rubble that's around us, mm. repent of where that thing probably needs to just stay buried in the ground. And then what are the new sprouts that God is birthing? by his spirit, which will always be tied to serving the poor. Yeah. It just will be. You can't get away in any aspect of the biblical narrative and the history of the church. We are linked to serving the poor. And when that becomes like a subcategory down our budget lines, look at the evidence. Screwed. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like you said, like, look at the rubble. What do you, what lessons do you take from that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there, I mean, this this reminds me that you know, I mean, there's a housing crisis in Canada. Yeah, it's it's uh, across the whole country, um, and you, you know, you're hearing stories about refugees coming to Canada who are living on the street. Yeah, mm. they show up and they just end up in a tent. Um, downtown Toronto churches um, are doing what they can, and that's that's a great calling. That's that's you know, they're they're providing space and and. Uh, space indoors and bathrooms and access like that, but we're not all doing it. And we don't see that in Oakville. We, you only see that in Toronto yeah. where, where yeah. that, um, you know, the, the refugees tend to end up. Um, but that is, yeah, you're right. It, it's a calling. It's, it's, it reminds me of that uh, program I'd, I'd heard about years ago, the live-in mm -hmm. program. And I remember hearing that and I, like, I was really struck. I was like, that's, that's a sacrifice. Yeah. You are deliberately choosing to live in a in a location below your means, well below your means, specifically to help people who live in that. Yeah. That that's they don't have a choice where they live. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, that one's always stuck with me. I've always thought, you know, and now I live on a big farm in the country. Does that make sense? Does that is that as a calling as a Christian? Is that the right thing to do? I don't. You know, I don't live close to any downtown community, anywhere where I can serve that that mm -hmm. uh, that need. So, 
yeah, it's it's something that I sometimes struggle with is that I I can't I can provide financially to to people who do that to churches who do that, but I can't do it. I can do it myself. Yep. Uh, you can volunteer downtown uh, at churches. There's lots of churches in the downtown core that do that. Philpot comes to mind. I know that's right right down the street from where downtown Hamilton meets. Yep. Part of True City. Yep. So a lot of the, you know, we like to invest in those programs, but do we do it personally? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a challenge. Well, and I think really, if there's anything we're going to take away from today's conversation, it's that we're we're not meant to take it on alone, right? Like, I think if the church is here for anything, it's to it's to pool our collective efforts so that we can make a more like serious impact on the world. Yeah. Um, you know, gathering together to to learn from the teaching, to worship together corporately. These are core principles of the church. But we're if we're not also coming together to be a, a collective force for like the power of of Jesus in the world today, then yeah, I think I think we're probably missing the point. And I think these conversations are those divine sparks too. You know, like I I have asked that question a number of times in home church, like what can I do? How can I help? Da, 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 da. And it's fascinating to me that without exception, there's always an answer. People are like, oh, actually. You know, with you and your family, you could da, 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 da. and my propensity to want to philosophize that way. Thanks for sharing that, Ian. Hmm. I don't know that I'm going to do any of the. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like no, that's the spirit. It's the divine spark. It's like do, do something. I'll share two very quick stories. Uh, the home church that I was helping to lead with uh, Joel in my house um, back in 2010, and we. We were, I feel like we were in part relationally living this out. Like we had a couple people who historically has had struggled with homelessness and we were trying to advocate for them. They would always come to my house for home church, amazing, wonderful people. And we were having this kind of conversation at home church one night. And a number of us had like, had kind of the green thumbs. We had gardens in our backyards. Right. And so Sherry, who has since passed away, um, I remember her, uh, sh- she spoke with an impediment and was like when you envision the stereotypical homeless type person like sherry was that you know um Mm. struggled and leaned on the support of of our church and our smaller church families at home church anyway we're talking about how can we serve better and what do we do with our resources we should be praying about this and we go to prayer and i remember our home church elder joel was like okay well let's pray and she goes can can i stop us i'm like yeah and she points at me and two other people and goes you have a garden you have a garden, you have a garden. Mm. I'm hungry. Can I not just come over every week and pick your vegetables? Mm. And we were like, what is wrong with us? Like, oh my gosh, it's literally like, so that became a fresh food service aspect of our home church where, and think what we're asking. We're asking her to make the drive to our homes. We have two vehicles in our driveway, you know? So that became an expression. Boom, that spark of the spirit no more talking about this. We have the means to do it. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, and we did. And it was a wonderful service for her and many others because it grew and start serving poor people. To quote Jesus, the poor will, will always be among you, mm. you know? So paying attention to that. So Ian, I would say like, if you've got a farm and you're growing veggies, find a place where, or harvesting chickens, yep. find a place where you give some of that away. Make, mm-hmm. m- create a 10th of your land that you give away. It's <laughs> Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second story, really quickly, is this is how the Meeting House got started with compassion. In 2008, 
We were a mega church that was spitting out sites left, right, and center. It was a phenomenal teaching and no compassion ministry. Mm. Legitimately, no compassion ministry. We were not serving the poor, but we're very open to how to do it. But we were pretty high on our horse at the time, right? So this church staff team from Minneapolis um, that came to visit. I want to learn from the Minneapolis house. You guys are doing amazing things. The Anabaptist movement. Love it, love it, love it. They met with one of our former community directors and said, cool, we've learned about leadership. We've learned about teaching. We've learned about some of your tech stuff, how to launch into different different sites and into theaters. Amazing, amazing. Um, where is the place in the building where you serve the poor? Like who, whose office is that? And our Paul, our community life director at the time was like, oh, well, you know, that happens in home church. We have a couple home churches who like make, and he, this is a direct quote from him, make crunchy peanut butter sandwiches and like take them to homeless people in downtown Hamilton. And Paul said in this story that the whole room just shut down. Mm. This pastoral staff was like, closes their binders. Paul's like, uh, okay, the spirit just shifted in here. What's happened? And the lead pastor's like, that's great. Uh, I think we're good. Uh, you know, you guys are serving crunchy peanut butter sandwiches to random people in downtown Toronto. Our church has sold our homes and moved into the most impoverished place in, in Minneapolis, but you guys are serving crunchy peanut butter sandwiches. Go team, you know? And so then our books, the staff team that was there to steward this visit was like, what can we do better? And they were a wealth of information to be like, you have to give money, time and resources away. But don't just be a mega church for your own celebrity celebration. Serve the poor. And that launched the beginnings of our compassion arm of the meeting house, Ooh. which then we became, and I don't say this in an arrogant way, known for the amount of money and resources. Like it used to be one of our distinctives. If you're going to be part of core community, you're serving, serving somewhere, either like in your home church or in your city. It's like, if you're going to be here, you're doing that. And if you're not doing that, you're probably going to have a conversation with leadership was like, why aren't, why aren't you ser serving? You know mm. what I mean? Mm. So I think we need to pay attention again to the swift sickle of the spirit, the spark that I think is helping us to look at the rubble and say, who do you want to be? And as a church, who have I made you to be? And who are you serving with who I've made you to be? Mm. Th that's church mission 101. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably no more talking for me. <laughs> a great place to park it for today. Yeah. Thanks, Ian, for joining us today. It's been really great. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you next time.